I am so excited about this morning. We are in the middle of our series in Advent. Uh, Advent has been, over the last couple weeks, what we've tried to do is to look both backwards and forwards. Every week, to look both backwards and, and forwards. Because Christmas, I think, naturally causes us to look backwards. Like, we have baby Jesus everywhere. It calls us to look back at the time when God came into history, became a man, dwelt among us, was born by, of a virgin in a, in a manger. Like, we get that, but that's only half of, of what Advent calls us to do. Because Advent calls us, yes, look back on that, but also remember to look, remember to look forward. Um, and so what we want to do this morning, if, if, you've, if you're new with us, by the way, uh, welcome. And, and what we've done the last two weeks, so two weeks ago we started in Advent and we talked about that blank page in your Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. Chances are you have a blank white sheet of paper and that blank white sheet of paper represents five hundred years of silence. The prophet said, the Messiah is going to come, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And then that plain white sheet of paper and 500 years of silence that the world just waited, waited for, for God to make good on his word for 500 years. Well, last week we talked about the moment when an angel named Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her of the plan to break the silence. And so this week, what we're going to look at is a prophecy by a man named Zechariah. A prophecy by a man named Zechariah. We're going to look at it in, okay, this is going to be a message of hope. This is going to be a message, uh, hopefully, that will give us confidence, but hear me. This is going to be a message that will challenge us. And I say that because it's challenged me, because what we're going to look at is, is yes, Advent calls us to look back, and it calls us to look forward, but we're going to find this morning that it calls us to look in one more direction. So having said that, I want to, would you pray with me? And let's just prepare ourselves and then we'll dive in. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this church. I'm overwhelmed to see stories represented in this room of how you change lives. I'm grateful. God, this morning I pray that you continue to open our hearts and open our minds to what you would have, what you would say to us. God, just give us the ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, like I said, we're gonna look at uh, something written by Zechariah. Now, this isn't the same Zechariah that you read in your Old Testament. So there's a book called Zechariah in your Old Testament. Not the same guy, not the same guy. This is a new guy, um, let me, let's talk about what we know about him. So Zechariah, we know, was the husband of Elizabeth. We know he was the dad of John the Baptist. And we also know he was a priest in the temple. Okay? Um, and last week, Craig talked about how this angel, like I said, Gabriel, appeared to Mary. Well, it turns out earlier in this chapter that this same angel appeared to, Sa to Zechariah. Um, only with Zechariah... He had a little bit of a difficult time believing what this angel told him. So for years and years and years, Zechariah had been praying, God, give us a son. Give us a son. 
Um, but what the text says is they were barren, that Elizabeth was barren, that they were past their years. He still prayed, he still prayed. But when Gabriel appeared, he said, rejoice, Zechariah. God has answered your prayer. And Zechariah was like, I don't know if I believe you. And before you judge, I mean, how many times do we do that when we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray? God, would you answer, please? Would you hear me? Would you hear me? And then he does, and wait, was that really? It's like we, we pray without believing that God can actually and will actually hear us. That's what Zechariah was doing in this moment. And so Gabriel, when he gave him this news, this great news, said rejoice, and he didn't believe it. He, Gabriel said, well, fine, you're going to be mute until the day that what I just told you about actually happens. It's as almost as if uh, Gabriel was saying, okay, so you doubt God. Let me shut your mouth literally, and let's just watch God do his thing. And that's what happened. So uh, Zachariah was, was mute up until the moment that his son was born. And in verse 57, we have the, uh, the birthing moment. The birth had come. It says that there was much rejoicing that that people realized that this was, in fact, a work, uh, a work of God. And they were at that unique moment, as parents, you'll relate to this, the, na- the moment where you pick the name, right? It, uh, Candace and I had names picked out before we got pregnant. Um, we are planners, so like on the first month of our pregnancy, we had a boy name, we had a girl name just to cover it, we knew what we wanted. If you're a parent in this room who waited till the moment, to find out if it was a boy or a girl or what to, God bless you. I don't understand you. I think you're crazy, but God bless you. This was that moment for them. They were wondering, what, what will we name our, our son? And will we name him after our father? Which that was the thing to do. That was customary, name him after your, the father. Or Elizabeth happened to like this name, John. And uh, and even though it wasn't a family name whatsoever. And so Zechariah, our, our man, our mute man, says, I don't know, well, he didn't say it. He motioned for a tablet and a pen, which I don't know what that looked like back then. But, and he wrote four words. He wrote, his name is John. He's a good man. He sided with his wife. And he said, John, John it is. The moment he did this, our text says that immediately his mouth was opened. Immediately his mouth was open, and, and our, our text tells us the first thing that he did. Uh, in verse 64, he immediately began blessing God. Like This man hasn't spoke in months. His, he's finally able to speak, and immediately he starts blessing God. It's an incredible scene. Everyone was amazed. Everyone knowing that God had something special for this child. It was just as the angel said, um, our text today tells us the way Zechariah blessed God when he was able to speak. We're going to look at, at, what he, at what he says. And it starts in verse 67. It says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Um, this was Zechariah, although these were his words, right? These were Zechariah's words. They were God's words through him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit so that he could speak for God. It's prophecy. It's like what, um, you don't have to turn here, but in 2 Peter 1, verse 20, it says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, 
But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Zechariah here is being carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a miraculous scene where God is speaking through this man. So we're going to look at his prophecy. I'm going I'm to divide it in two parts. So we're going to look at the first part that's going to take us all the way to, 60, uh, to verse 65. And then the second part we'll get to right after that. Uh, and so a couple weeks ago, we walked through, I guess we more or less ran through, uh, we looked at the Old Testament and we looked at the story that God had, the plan that God had from the beginning and how all of creation was, was waiting for this moment when Jesus was going to, to come. So we, we looked at that. Well, God has always had this beautiful plan that, that reached from Adam and Eve in the garden. It reached through Noah, through Abraham, through Moses, through the kings of Israel, through the unfortunate collapse of Israel. God had a plan through it all. Well, the first part of Zechariah's prophecy is Zechariah pointing us to the fact that God had a plan. That all of this was a part of God's perfect plan. Let's look at the first part. It says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Again, tying us back, tying us back that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who, who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So did you hear it as we read through this? Uh, in the house of David, through the prophets of old, promised to our fathers uh, his holy covenant with Abraham. What I want you to see here, this was not a new plan. Jesus was not the surprise plan B. Wasn't a new plan. This was, this was not a plan that came because God got frustrated with the old plan and decided, you know what, forget it. They've messed up and we're done. We're starting over and Jesus is, no. Jesus was the plan from the beginning and, and Zachariah here is tying it. He was not another plan. He was the plan and the plan had arrived. And, and I love verse 68. Uh, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. I, I love this because remember, Zechariah is talking about something here that hasn't yet happened. Right? So, so Jesus' work hadn't been done yet. He hadn't been born yet. And Zechariah here is talking about something as though it had already taken place. Do you see the past tense? Why? Why would Zechariah say he has visited and has redeemed his people? All right, so I love this, and you're going to have to forgive me. I geek out about this kind of stuff, so just follow me. Indulge me for a moment. Um, this is something that scholars call a prophetic perfect. I told you, you're going to have to bear with me. Prophetic, it'll make sense. Prophetic perfect. Um, a prophetic perfect is, is used all the time by prophets. And what they'll do is they'll speak about something that God has said about the future in the past tense. It's as though it has already happened. They'll speak it 
as though it's already happened. And so a prophetic perfect is when a prophet will take something that's yet to happen, something that's still to take place, and he'll refer to it as though it has already happened. It's almost as if it's as good as done. Prophets will do this all throughout the Old Testament, and Zechariah is doing the same thing here. Uh, it's, it's like a, a general of an army who goes out to the battlefield. The armies are about to meet. No shots have been fired yet, and he looks over the battlefield, and, and, and it's like he says, the battle is ours. It, before a shot has been fired, only with the prophets, it's even better because they're speaking the words of God who does not change, who you can count on eternally. And so when they say this is going to happen, there's no chance of error. So Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit speaking the words of God, and he says he has visited and has redeemed his people. Speaking, church, when, when we look at promises of God that haven't happened yet, we can stand on them. We can stand on them. Even though they haven't taken place yet, you can stand on God's word. You can count on it. You can count that God is going to come through on what he said he is going to do. Um, and God spoke through Zechariah, and, and it happened just the way that he said. And just, I think too often we, I say we, I, overlook prophecy I do. I overlook it too often. And the reality is, if there is anyone here in this room who is struggling with doubt, is wrestling with things in your faith, who looks at, you know, this whole Christian thing and wondering, is this really true? I mean, this is, is this really something to give my, my all to? Is this, if you're here and you're, you're searching, is there a reason to believe any of this to be true? Um, I urge you to consider prophecy for just a moment. To consider prophecy for just a moment, because prophecy has this way of proclaiming the truth of the gospel really, really clearly. Uh, I want to, I could use a lot of, of examples. I will be brief. I wanted to share three things, three examples of what I'm talking about. There was a prophet uh, named Micah. He lived about 700 years before our text. It's about 700 years. Um, and Micah has the audacity to tell us that a Messiah, the Messiah is going to be born in this little town of Bethlehem, 700 years before it happened. Micah has this prophecy that the, that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. It's an absolutely amazing prophecy because Bethlehem is not exactly this thriving metropolis, right? It'd be like me saying Jesus is going to return to Waco, I mean, Waco's cool, but it's not really, you know, what I would, I mean, for, for Micah, it's like, this was not a safe bet. This was not the safe place that says the, the Messiah is definitely going to come out of Waco. Like, it's not the safe bet. Why didn't he say something like Jerusalem or something like that? But it wasn't. It was Bethlehem. Um, the odds were against this prophecy to come true, right off the bat. But 700 years later, this crazy thing happens, and, and Christ is actually born in this unlikely little place of Bethlehem. Now, was that, a was that just chance? Well, let's look at Isaiah. Isaiah, roughly around the same time as Micah, has 
even more audacity to proclaim that this Messiah is going to be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7.14. So Micah's prophecy was just really highly unlikely. Isaiah's prophecy was just impossible. It was impossible to predict. It was, this is born of a virgin. It's not natural. At least my kids did not come into the world this way. It's not a natural thing to predict. Sorry, babe. Um, not a natural thing to, to predict. I mean, who predicts something like that? <laughs> She's turning red. Um, <laughs> yet Isaiah boldly says the, the Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. Well, as we're going to talk about next week, 700 years later, about uh, this crazy thing happens, and that's Jesus was born in this unlikely town of Bethlehem and miraculously to a virgin named Mary. Uh, one more, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a little bit later than Micah and Isaiah. Uh, he was speaking actually during a really rough time for the people of God. They were in captivity. It was bleak, which makes his prophecy even more impressive because during this time of instability, captivity, awful, Jeremiah prophesies in 23.5 that the Messiah will come from the line of David. This is not a safe bet. Uh, Think about it. He's predicting that a conquered people's king is going to reign in the bleakest of the bleak of of moments. He's predicting this. Um, And here it is again. Not only was Jesus born in the unlikely town of Bethlehem, miraculously to a virgin named Mary, but also born in the line of David. I am not a statistician. I think I said that right. Statistician, that's it. Um, I'm not one of those. If I was, though, there's uh, there's something to this. There is something just miraculous. If you are ever wondering if Jesus was exactly who he said he was, consider prophecy for a moment and let it proclaim the gospel to you. This just wrecked me this week. That Here's, here's what I love. Jesus Christ was the perfect fulfillment of every word of the prophecies. Every hope of God's people from all time, he was the perfect fulfillment of, every, of the covenant of God with his people. And Zechariah here, is connecting all of these dots. He's remembering David, and he's remembering Abraham, and he's, remem- he's connecting all of these dots, and he's proclaiming with everything that he is, everything that he has, that Jesus is coming, and he's gonna fulfill it all. And it's the plan of God from the beginning that he will redeem his people and fulfill his, his promises. Um, before we move on, I know that like 99.999% of our, of our nation uh, has heard about the Christmas story. All right, this is not new stories for most people. Uh, we've heard about the birth. We've heard about Mary and this, this manger. But too few, although so many know about the story, too few really understand that this moment actually changed the course of history. And that this moment actually, um, this baby actually mattered. Um, too few believe that this is more than a fairy tale. Too few 
But this is actually literally the plan of God unfolding before our eyes. As God became man, and as you understand that this is a literal, historical moment, this happened, uh, as you realize that Jesus came exactly the way it was prophesied, tying everything together, the perfect plan of God, then you can have confidence in the future that no one and nothing can shake. We have a faith that's rooted in reality. We have a faith uh, that we have a reason to believe. In this way, we have a reasonable faith. Listen to this. Again, you don't have to turn here. But 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So church, you have a reason for the hope that is in you in Christ. You have a reason. You have a reasonable faith. And that reason is Jesus Christ. And so we have the ability, church, to look back on this, to look back on all of this, and to allow this grand narrative to build our confidence for whatever we walk through. Whatever we walk through next, whatever comes our way, And Zechariah reminds us of this plan, but he doesn't end there, and neither can we. He shifts into the second part of his prophecy. So I want to look at this. We start in uh, in verse 76. It says, And you, child, this is referring to John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then Luke ends it by telling us that this child, John the Baptist, grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So I want to look at this. Um, This was really interesting to me. I'm going to put this on the screen for us. I want to look here at what John the Baptist's, what his role was. What does Zacharias say he was called to do? What was his mission, his purpose for being here? Uh, To prepare the world for the coming of Christ. Our text tells us to tell the world about the salvation that's in Christ. It's to lead people to the forgiveness of their sins through Christ. Our text says to be a light to those in darkness. And our text says to guide the world to know the peace of God. This is John the Baptist's calling, his mission, his job description. The reason I wanted to put this on the screen is because I want us to look at it and, and does this sound familiar? Does this look familiar? Does this mission, does this calling, does this purpose statement look familiar? And we'll leave it up here for a little bit because what I started to realize is what John the Baptist's role was in preparing the world for the birth of Christ is very similar to what our role is in preparing for the return of Christ. 
I, I think we as the church, right, have been commissioned out. Go, therefore, make disciples. All nations, go, go. Commissioned out, Matthew 28, 19. We've been called out by Jesus himself. Uh, we, as the church, again, are told that we will receive power by God himself through the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses across the earth. That's Acts 1.8. We, as the church, looking at this, are, are told that we are to be light to our dark world. Uh, Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before others, right? That, that they may see your good, your good works and give glory to your Father. Here's the reality. John's mission sounds really familiar to what your mission should be. The truth is this, that like the world, right, who was waiting on Christ to, to waiting on the Messiah in our text, the whole world was waiting for it. In the same way, we too are waiting for the return of Jesus. In the same way that John was over here and given the purpose, the mission of preparing the world for the arrival of the Messiah, we over here, in the same way, are given this beautiful mission to prepare our world for the arrival of our Savior. The parallel here is just incredible, and it really hit me this week. Here in a moment, I'm going to share some stats with you. Uh, I want you to imagine with me if we as a church, if we really got that. If we really got that, that we were a people that would go out of this place, be light to our offices, to schools, neighborhoods. If, you know, I love when we come together as a church, but imagine if we were a people who didn't expect the church as an organization to accomplish the mission through, through our programs, through our ministries, although good, through our staff, although I think our staff is awesome. But imagine if we were a people that said, no, 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 this is us. We are the church. And this is, this is our calling, our purpose Imagine if we grabbed hold of it. The reason I say this is because I want to show you some stats. This is a, our community. Let me just say this. Our community is a lost community. Uh, I'm going to show you stats that uh, the most recent study that we did, it's a demographic study that we did. It was pretty extensive. We did it last year. Uh, it represents a three-mile radius from the chair you're sitting in. Okay? So three miles around us, and uh, by the way, that's 62,854 people, three miles around your chair. Uh, so let's see these stats. Um, so there's the population, 62,854. Of that, 32% will mark evangelical Christian as their religious aff affiliation, I say it that way, and it'll make sense here in a little bit. 41% consider themselves to be a spiritual person. Here's the one, though, that absolutely wrecks me. According to our demographic research of our community, which, by, by the way, this is very low of the national average, um, is that 12% of our community, our neighbors, our friends, 
12% say that faith of any kind, this is not just evangelical faith, but faith of any kind is important to them. 12% of our community claim that faith of any kind is important. Um, Let me translate this in a way that just hit me. A safe estimate, somewhere between 88 or 70 to 88% of our community are not ready for the return of our Savior. Let that just sink. 70 to 88% of our community are not ready. If we believe that Jesus is going to do what he told us he was going to do, if we believe it, um, we should be driven to see that change. We should be driven to see this drastically drastically change. Um, In this way, church, you are John, preparing the way for Jesus. You are John. And in this way, Advent calls us, yes, to look back at the birth, calls us to look forward to the return, but church, calls us to look out. It calls us to look out to prepare the way for Christ. It calls us to look back at the birth of Christ, to look forward to the return, and to look out to prepare the way because Jesus is going to return. With that in mind, I I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy, verse 1. You can open there. You can scroll there. However, however you get there. I will have it on the screen for us as well. Um, I'd like to finish our time together here because I think this is going to bring everything together. As you find your place, let me set the stage. So uh, Zechariah has just pointed us to the fact that Jesus Christ is, is coming, fulfilling the prophecy. He will be born, fulfilling the perfect plan of God from the beginning, that God came to earth, that he may redeem us, we can be his children, then in light of that, he reminds us of the mission that we share in common with John, and that is prepare the way for Christ to return, uh, that Jesus will return, and our, ours is to prepare the world for this. So I want us to look at this. We're going to be in, in chapter 1, verse, verse 8. Verse 8. Uh, it says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. So you have, don't be ashamed of this. Be bold for this, because it's the truth of God where we share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then verse nine, who saves us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus, listen to this, before the ages began. Before the ages began, meaning Jesus Christ is and has always been the plan to redeem this fallen world. And how are we going to experience this? Well, the text says it is through grace alone. It's nothing you did. It's nothing you will do. It's nothing you think about doing. It's by God's grace alone. And then verse 10, in which 
now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel and through the, so you have this, through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, that's what we celebrate this Christmas, that's what we're celebrating, that the plan of God for all eternity was made known through this miraculous baby, was made known in that Jesus abolishes death, gives life and immortality through the gospel. We think of John 3.16, right, that he loved the world so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him is not going to die but have life eternally. It's the gospel. That's what we celebrate this Christmas. That's what we celebrate. But hear this. Listen to this. In light of that, Paul says this. Verse 11, For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So take that in for a moment. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Why? Because he says, I believe, I'm convinced that he is able to guard, that he is in control, that he is sovereign. Until when? Until that day. Until that day when we see Jesus face to face, Until that day when he will return, until that day when Christ comes, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am saved by the grace of God through Christ, that the plan for my salvation was made known through the birth of Christ, and I stand unashamed and bold on mission. And hear me, I'm convinced that he's going to come through on his word, and he's going to guard until that day. Paul stands on this. And so church, this is our charge. This is our mission. This is our calling. Um, For many of you, let's get real practical. Uh, Many of you over the next couple weeks are going to go into, you're gonna see family, you're gonna see friends, lots of them that you don't often see sometimes. Uh, Many of whom do not know the amazing salvation of God through Jesus Christ. This is our reality. Many of whom do not know. Uh, most know about the birth, right? We know about it. But, but many don't know why it matters. And they don't know or they don't care that he says he's going to come back. Why does that matter? This is our reality. This is, here's the truth, though. Church, you are a part of the plan that God has in place to reach them with the truth. Don't pass it off. You are a part of the plan to reach them with the truth, to to be John to, to them. You are a part of the plan. Now, you cannot force anyone to believe. You cannot force them to believe, but you can find ways to shine a light. Um, You cannot, put it this way, your mission's not to be a jerk forceful and judgmental. Your mission is, is, is not to be hateful. Your mission is not to be your family's morality police. No one likes that. 
That's not what we're called to do, is to come and judge our family's morals. Uh, Our family doesn't need a family Pharisee. They don't need that. That's not our mission. Our mission, though, is to find ways to share the good news of God's love, grace, and forgiveness through Christ. Your mission is to tell them, to show them, Jesus is going to come back, and this matters. Some of you are going to have to get really creative. And this is not easy. This is not an easy thing whatsoever, but our mission is to prepare ourselves and our world for Jesus Christ. That's it. You are here to prepare yourself and your world for Jesus Christ. That is why you are here. So two questions is, are you ready? And are you preparing your world to be ready? Are you ready? Are you preparing your world to be ready? And I just want to challenge you, don't waste this opportunity this year. Do not waste this opportunity this year. When the whole nation pushes the pause button to just pause for Christmas, and this time of year when friends and family, they come together, even if they don't want to, they do, don't waste this opportunity to be a light to the people that you're about to encounter. I encourage you to realize that you are John preparing the way. And if you're here and uh, you don't know Christ, you've never responded to the gospel, listen, let this be the morning. Let it be this morning. It is impossible for you to prepare the way for the Lord when you are yet to be prepared for the Lord. If you've never responded to the gospel, to the work of Jesus in your life, let this be the morning because Jesus came so that you can live eternally. God loved you and has grace that he poured on you that even when you mess up continually and over and over again, I promise you, you're gonna mess up later too. But God made a way for you to know him eternally. Don't leave this this place. If you want to respond to the gospel this morning, what I want to encourage you to do is just pray with, with us this morning. Church, would you pray? God, we are so grateful for what you have done. You did not have to send your son. You did not have to make a way for me to know you. You did not have to make a way for me to live eternally with you. But you did. And God, for everyone in this room, I pray who is who is feeling your your call on their heart right now. For those in this room who are for the first time understanding that, wait, this is this is talking about me. You did this for me. This was for everyone in this room who is feeling that, I just pray that you right now in this moment show your love in a way that we have never experienced. There's no magical 
hocus pocus moment that we can that we can chant or say or pray or anything like that. No, no, no. The only thing we know is that your word tells us that when we call on your name, we will be saved. That you have paid our price in full. While we were still sinners, you paid for our price so that when we call on your name, we can have confidence that nothing Nothing, nothing, not even ourselves, can separate us from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. So God, this moment, I just pray that you work on us, you move in us, and you speak to us. And over the next couple weeks, I pray that you work in us, you move in us, and you speak through us. I pray that you would direct conversations that you would open ears, that if there is any hostility in our family toward your gospel, that you would soften and that you would provide opportunities. We know that we can save no one, but we also know that you have chosen by your grace to use us as instruments so that you can save them. That's what we pray, just use us. Give us wisdom, give us clarity so that you can use us well. And it's for your glory, for your honor, It's in your son's name that we pray, amen.